all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, as far back as the year 2002, a major survey was conducted in the United States has revealed the following, that 55% of all Protestants and 75% of all Catholics do not believe in the existence of Satan. Of course, of late, that number has skyrocketed. It's really beyond astounding when you think about it. It's beyond astounding that the majority of people who claim to be Christians do not believe the Bible. As I've been saying throughout the series of messages on the invisible war, whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, and whether we believe it or not, if you are born of God, if Jesus Christ is your only Savior and Lord, <laughs> you are in a state of war with Satan. He will attack. Listen, although Satan is a defeated foe, don't miss that. Even though he is a defeated foe. Do you want me to repeat that? He is a defeated foe. <laughs> but he refuses to accept that defeat. <laughs> he refuses to lay down his arms. And he attacks. And he attacks. And if he's not attacking, he's plotting for the next attack. As when he left Jesus in the wilderness, the Bible said that Satan said he left him looking for an opportune time, and that was at the cross. You say, Michael, well, this is really bad news. <laughs> it really isn't. It isn't, but listen carefully, because the good news is that Satan and all of his evil forces can be defeated by God's children if they are equipped to do so. In fact, this whole series, my crying to God throughout the series, I got you be equipped to stand and to win the victory. You know, like terrorists, demonic forces play dirty. They really do. They look for vulnerability. They look for weakness and then attack without warning. And there is no spiritual Geneva Convention or, or, or certain rules for, uh, attack, for fighting, fair, to fight fair. No. But even if there were such rules, Satan would not follow them anyway. Satan and his demons are utterly ruthless and cunning and conceited. Furthermore, Satan always pretends to be an angel of light. Why? so that to deceive and to lull people into a false sense of security. He often strikes at the times when we are defenseless, when we are defenseless. I imagine Satan's wardrobe is filled with uh, multi-uniforms, all look like sheep, different uniform. And then in his computer, he has millions of apps, millions of apps, wily apps. His most popular app is the one that's downloaded millions and millions and millions of times 
says there is no Satan. In the last message, we saw how when Satan kept on coming at Jesus in the wilderness, tempting Him and tempting Him and tempting Him again, our Lord defeated Him over and over and over by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. One of that equipping that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at it closely, is the armament that God gave us. Don't ever forget that God provided that armament for us in order to be equipped to defeat Him. There's only one offensive weapon, but all the others are defensive. Hear me out, please. These are our protective armor. They are our hazmat suits (laughs) for the hazardous warfare. They are our battle fatigues that we need to put on Always, always, always. So turn with me, please, to a very familiar passage in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. And in the Pew Bible, page 1824, 1824, and you can grab the Bible in the pew in front of you and follow with us. And I'm going to ask you to stand And we're going to read the Word of God together, and I'm going to read the first verse. Then I'm going to let you read the rest of it, and I pray God the Holy Spirit will take these words and imprint them in our hearts and our minds. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be seated, please. The danger with a familiar passage, which much written about it, much spoken about it, is that you assume where I'm going. But as you know me, I'm going to not go where you are. So hang on with me, okay? Because I am going to divide this passage or this armor's into three categories, three categories. The first category is the permanent uniform. That's a uniform that you wear day in and day out. Then there is a defensive weapons that we use to defend ourselves 
and have victory over Satan. And then there is one offensive weapon, but also can be used defensively. So look at the uniform. The uniform that has to be on all the time, verses 14 and 15. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I'm going uh, uh, to ask our camera folks, would you please put that on the screen so those who are home can uh, see what I'm talking about. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but this uniform has to be worn every day, every moment of every day. I don't know, those of you who have served in the military, you don't know anybody on the base who's serving, who is, uh, who, who is, who's, who's in, the, in the service of the military, any branch of the military, who does not wake up first thing in the morning and put on the uniform. They don't walk around in their bathrobes. They put on that uniform daily and get up and do the whatever they're called to do. That uniform is permanent. It is not you put it on and off. It is permanent. That's why I want to explain this to you because it's very important. Every waking moment, when you go to work, when you socialize, uh, you permanently put it on, and that is why it comes first. The uniform comes first. This is our identity. This is our survival kit. I believe that our Lord Jesus Christ's whole life characterized by this singular uniform. When answering the critics, his Jewish critics in John chapter 7, verse 18, he said, He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness in him. Now, beloved, I want you to write this down. Okay, write it down, remember it, do something, put it on your phone, whatever you want to do. The truth and righteousness, they go together. Truth and righteousness belong to each other. That's why they're together in this passage. They are not stagnant, but they belong to each other. They have a purpose and it is to announce to the world that we are enlisted in God's army. You know, sometimes if you see military fatigue on television and you, you don't know which, sometimes they look alike, and, but only when you come close to the shoulder and you see the American flag and you say, he's one of us. You see, that uniform, that uniform, that's uniform, that's your uniform, that's my uniform. And you wouldn't think generally that they start with the belt, but it does, and I'm going to explain to you why. There's that leather, wide leather belt, but we try to do the best we can. <laughs> uh, the wide leather belt wraps around the soldier's waist. Uh, the belt helps a soldier to tuck his free-flowing clothes. You know, this is kind of, well, the best we can do. Actually, when they tuck, when they tuck the, the, this robe, whatever they, they're wearing, the free-flowing clothes back then, it, it will free up to the knee rather than where it is you see it on the screen. It's up to the knee. They free the person. And because in the battlefield, 
or even in every day working in the field. <laughs> a free-flowing robe is a great hindrance to getting anything done. But you can move faster when you tuck it inside the belt. Are you with me? You can run faster when it's tucked in the belt. You can be flexible in all of your daily activities if it's tucked inside the belt. I remember back in the days when you used to wear robes and, and be coming up the stairs, and I, I know my biggest fear is I'm going to fall on my face. And so we, I pulled the robes up. See, that's what they did. They tucked them into the belt of truth. Uh, when you tuck everything in life under the belt of truth, you're not going to fumble and stumble and that is why the belt of truth, listen to me, is a permanent feature of the uniform. It's the first thing in the uniform. Without the build of belt of truth, you will fall for every false teaching. Without the belt of truth, you will never be able to discern the truth from falsehood. Without having that belt of truth around you, you are going to fall for every trick for every false preacher, for every fast talker, for every great communicator who misleads you into falsehoods. And that is why biblical truth must be wrapped around you all the time. It helps you to smell false teaching a mile away. Not only that, but it will help you to run away as fast as you could when you hear a false teacher. And the second item, which they belong together in that permanent uniform, is the breastplate of righteousness. In ancient times, that breastplate is designed to protect your vital organs, your heart, your, your, your kidneys, your liver, <laughs> your vital parts, their vital organs. This is the bulletproof vest, if you like. Hear me right, please. In the spiritual war, as I've said, truth and righteousness belong together. They belong to each other. And that is why they are part of this permanent uniform. The righteousness of Jesus Christ that He imputes upon us when we come to Him confessing that we are sinners and deserve hell and ask for forgiveness, and He gives us His forgiveness, He puts on us that truth, that, that, that righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ protects our spiritual vitality. It protects our, our vital spiritual organs. It reminds us that Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross, and Satan can never take that righteousness away from us. When Satan tries to assault you with doubt over your salvation, when Satan accuses you of past sins from which you've repented long time ago, when Satan tried to, 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 to accuse you of sins that God has forgiven you long time ago, or tell you that you are not good enough for salvation that breastplate of righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are wearing reminds us that it is not our self-righteousness that saves us. It is not our efforts or hard work that saves us. We cannot achieve that righteousness if we work 24-7. 
but it is by grace of God that we are saved, and that is not of our own, lest we boast, but it's a gift of God. Remember that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and not ours, saves us. That, my beloved friend, is going to equip you to joyfully, joyfully obey the Word of God. That some people see the word, obedience to the Word of God as a burden. I have to do it. No, but when you have that breast of righteousness of Jesus Christ on your chest, you are delighted in serving God. You are delighted to obey God. Let me say it again. Truth and righteousness belong together. And that is why those who have paper breastplates, paper breastplates of self-righteousness, of work salvation, Satan will pierce every time and quick, and he will load them with guilt. He will tell them that they're not doing enough, that they're not good enough, that they are not righteous enough, that they're not serving enough. But when you put on the breastplate of righteousness of Jesus Christ, that bulletproof vest, when you put that armor-proof vest, when you put on this dart-proof vest, that breastplate of righteousness, Satan can never pierce. That breastplate of righteousness will remind you to say to him every time he assaults you, in the words of Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. The third part of that permanent uniform are the boots. Now, of course, now we have very heavy boots because of the nature of warfare. Back then, they had a, a very tight sandals, wraps all the way, sometimes in the knee, but sometimes it goes up at least halfway, but it, it, it tightly fit. It had to tightly fit because of the desert and sand and, and climbing mountains, and it's a different uh, kind of warfare as we have today. The gospel of peace is that irrefutable truth that in Christ and in Christ alone, we now have peace with God. Remember I told you in the last message that had Jesus taken the offer that Satan gave him, he said, you take all creation, take all of the earth. He said, all you need to do is just bow to me. Had Jesus taken that offer without going to the cross and resurrection, had that happened, I told you, if you remember last message, that we probably have everything be going just as it is now, except for one thing. We would not be reconciled to the Father. We would not have peace with the Father. And when you cannot have peace with the Father, you could not experience the peace of the Father. The peace that, was, that we experience now in this life, regardless of the political turmoil, regardless of the economic turmoil, regardless of the pain and suffering, regardless of the circumstances that we pass through, regardless of the evil forces that are attacking us all the time, regardless of what people say or do to us, regardless of what fiery darts Satan throws at, at us. We have the peace of God because we have peace with God. 
And you only can have that through Jesus. And if you're watching around the world or here, and you do not have that peace with God, you will never have peace in this life. If you go around your Christian life wearing flip-flops, you're going to get your feet burnt. You're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your peace. You won't have peace. Beloved, in the spiritual realm, these flip-flops, whether it be the, your own ideas about God, whether their own philosophy, whether you want to do your own thing, whatever they are, they will burn your feet. But when your feet are firmly protected with the very solid, imperishable boots of the gospel, you will always feel safe, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. And with these boots, you can kick Satan out to Timbuktu. This is the uniform. This is what we permanently wear, day in and day out. This is what we put on daily, every waking moment. That's what you living, thinking, and behaving should reflect. Can I get an amen? amen. Secondly, I come to the defensive weapons, verses 16 and 17. The shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Do you remember back in the book of Exodus when God was delivering His people out of the slavery of Egypt? And it was plague after plague after plague. Finally, God said to Moses, tell the people to slay a lamb. And then they take that blood of the lamb and put it on the posts of your doors, of your houses, on the top and the sides. <laughs> I often think about this. I really do. I'm thinking that, and this is just my own thinking, so don't, it may never have happened. But knowing Knowing what they were later on and what we saw, most likely some of them attempted to say, Lord, we're in the land of slavery. What does blood on the door will do? That's the silliest idea as we've heard. Lord, the previous nine plagues did not even move the needle with Pharaoh. Lord, Pharaoh did not budge with all the other things that you have done. What would this painting of the blood on the doorpost would do? Oh, they could have said, let us vote. <laughs> we need to vote. But no, even though they did not understand everything of what God had in mind, yet they obeyed anyway. And we know what happened in the middle of the night. The angel of death came and took the firstborn of Egypt. And every time he sees the blood on the doors, he bypasses. He passes over. That's where we get Passover. That's what Passover means. But praise God we live in the New Testament. Praise God we live in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ, and only the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured in Calvary, protects us completely. 
once you are marked by the blood of Christ, you are untouchable until you get all the way home. You are untouchable by God's judgment. You are untouchable from evil. The blood of Jesus says, pass over. (laughs) Don't harm. No power of hell can pass the blood of Jesus. No authority can undermine the authority of God's Word. The blood-washed believer, listen to me, the blood-washed believer is God's territory, and the evil one cannot invade. Listen, Satan may come through doors of sin that you leave open. He may come through doors of your uh, unpredictable emotions. Uh, He may come through the doors uh, of your feelings and living by your feelings. He may come through the the doors uh, 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 in times of trouble and crisis when you're confused. He may come through the door of your cooling love for Jesus. He may come through any route, any of these routes, whatever route the enemy uses, whatever door he pushes on and comes in and you allow him, whatever fear he instills in you, the moment you plead the blood of Jesus Christ, he will run. He will run. Do you believe that? This is the shield of faith. That's the helmet of salvation. The blood of Jesus. The Roman soldiers had two different shields. Again, let me ask the camera guy to put it in so people understand what I'm talking about. These are two different shields, and they're used in a variety of ways. So the small one is about two feet in diameter and is worn on the, on the arm of the soldier, especially when he is in a hand-to-hand combat. That was very important. The other kind is the body shield. It's five feet by two and a half feet, the full, the full one. Two words. You know, you, some of you probably ask, well, how do you know the difference? How do you know what shield he's talking about? Well, there are two different words in Greek. I'm not going to bore you with Greek. Uh, but Paul uses the one that is five feet by two and a half. That shield is designed to protect the soldier completely. They were not very tall back then. They just get behind that thing, and they are covered completely from head to toe. It is made of wood and covered by metal, and then sometimes they rub oil on it uh, in order to retard the flaming darts that sent their way. They put a little fire in the dart, and they throw it at them. The fiery darts of temptation that he sends your way whether they'll be doubting your salvation, whether they'll be questioning God's love for you, whether they'll be questioning that God cares for every detail of your life, or getting you to distrust God, whatever, whatever, whatever He throws at you, that shield of faith is the pleading of the blood of Jesus Christ. That will extinguish all fiery darts, all fiery darts. What about the helmet? Well, the helmet of salvation protects your mind. It protects your mind. In the spiritual realm, let me tell you, I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it because we're seeing it now with our own eyes, that the biggest war, the biggest war, is not the wars that are taking place all over the world. The greatest war is the one that takes place between your two ears. 
Hello. Are you with me? It's right here. That's where the war is. The battle for the mind. And that's what Satan is after. Question. When Satan begins to twist and turn and distort your knowledge, that is his sure way of invading your life. So the question is, why do you think that there are evil educators today that want to have their filthy hands on our five-year-olds? Why do you think school boards want to hire drag queens to teach our children? Why do you think they want to indoctrinate five-year-olds about sexual perversion? Why do you think the CEO of Disney wants 50% of the cartoons to contain sexual perversion? They are fighting for the minds of our next generation. And you know what? Here's the thing. I've been following this for years. They've been doing this for 100 years. For 100 years they've been working on it. We Christians, as soon as we're things, well, we just leave and gone. We left education. We left the arena of the media. We, uh, we just leave. Satan takes it over. Now they become so emboldened, so arrogant, and so belligerent, and they're revealing the nature of their master Satan. They're revealing his true nature. Beloved, listen to me. Please listen to me. If Satan can muddle your thinking, if he can muddle your spiritual thinking, if he can muddle your moral thinking, he's two-thirds of the way in. And that is why that helmet of salvation always protects us from falling in the traps that we are not saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is why, listen to me, please listen to me, that is why daily intimacy, daily intimacy, I don't care if you listen to 20,000 of podcast of reverence smell fungus. That's not going to help you because some will mislead you. Daily intimacy with God helps to place that helmet firmly on your head. Listen to me. God did not call us to hide from the enemy. God did not call us to outsmart the enemy. God did not call us to be clever with the enemy. He called us to plead the blood of Christ and to protect the minds by the helmet of the shield of, and the shield of faith. God called us to withstand. Actively, actively withstand. Believing the Word of God. Believing the authority of the Word of God. Believing and taking and using the authority of the Word of God, that will put your enemy to flight. Trust me. 
Try it. We thank God for our defensive weapons. We thank God for our permanent uniform. But thirdly, I come to the one offensive which also can be used defensively. Verse 17. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We saw in the last message how Lord Jesus Christ defeated Satan again and again. How? How did he defeat him? By the Word of God. And I will never stop, and I'll never cease, and I'll never miss an opportunity to remind you that if Jesus believed, trusted, and quoted the Old Testament, then do not listen to any false preacher who tells you we need to be unhitched from the Old Testament. Actually, it's a second-century heresy. Just got dressed up for the 21st-century church. Can you believe that? Marconian. Name Marcon came up with it in the second century. The Word of God is a sword. It's a sword. And that is why many false teachers and preachers working on blunting that sword. They're blunting that sword until it lost its power. It can never lose its power, but that for them, and for their people, sadly. Question, how do we use the Word of God as an offensive weapon? When we seek to lead people to Christ, listen carefully to me, please. When we seek to lead people to Christ and rescue them, from the grips and the clutches of Satan, the best weapon, the only effective weapon, is the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. No clever marketing technique, no bite-and-switch, bite, bite, bite no appealing to emotions, not manipulating people's emotions. This will never work will never work. And when you see somebody become a Christian, oh, and they, because of the, uh, their emotional got manipulated, I promise you, and they get excited, and they may join a church, that two, three years later, they're gone. They're gone. They said to John Wesley one time, they said, we saw one of your converts drunk in the gutter. He said, I'm not surprised if he was my convert. But if he's Jesus' convert, he would not have gone back. Listen, it's the Word of God. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who inspired the writers of the Bible. Therefore, He is the ultimate author of the Bible. And that is why the Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. And that is why the believers who make themselves to be a valuable channel for His power God will use. God will use. And the more we yield, the more we yield to His Spirit, the more the Word of God dwells in us richly and speaks through us. Beloved, listen to me. I'm getting close to the end, but listen to me. The Word of God is flawless. The Word of God is faultless. The Word of God is complete and authoritative. 
The Word of God is the source of all victory. The Word of God is effective and decisive. The Word of God is the source of all truth. God's Word is the source of joy, peace, and spiritual vitality. Listen to me, because the Word of God slices through people's defenses. God's Word pierces the conscience and awakens spiritually dead people, like I was and like you were. And so I'm going to conclude by a personal testimony. My friends know, I, I, I find it, I don't like to talk about myself. It's just one of those quirkiness that I have. But if, I only, if it's going to glorify God and if it's going to bless people, I'm happy to do it. When I was around five years old, between four and six, so five is in the middle somewhere there. <laughs> My family despaired with me. I started young in my rebellion. My older siblings tried to everything to stop me, but I'm forever running away, running away, running away. I'm constantly running away. Some of my older siblings, actually some of them are watching. <laughs> they watch the service live. They're going to have a chuckle because they remind me of that every time I'm back. <laughs> My parents owned a four-story building, and we were living on the top floor. At a very wide stairway. I still visualize it in my mind. I would wait until I see that nobody's watching. And I would run those four stories, stairs, run fast as I could, and cross busy streets and go to wherever I was going. Forming search party was a common happening in our street. <laughs> we had a, a grocery store down, and he would shut his thing, gets on the bicycle, and others start going, and, and my siblings, everybody everywhere, and try to figure out where I would have gone. The threat of punishment and punishment didn't work. See, that's why God had to hit me by the two by four. <laughs> Until one day, my old, older siblings devised a scheme. Meanwhile, in our town, there was a hobo who dressed, dressed kind of very scary way and always carrying kids, and he goes from one main street to another main street, and and was, has had the name, and, and I, here it terrified me. And so one day, I was looking, and I saw all my siblings, and, and remember, when I was five, I had an, the oldest sibling was 24 years old, 22, 29, 18, you know, all the way through. <laughs> and I, they, they appeared at least to me, that they're not watching me, not looking out for me. And I ran down those four stairs like Speedy Gonzales. <laughs> then literally, 
I got to the landing, and there was a, a storage room to the left. I still remember it, and the doors to, to the street to the right. And I got to the landing, and one of my brothers, my brother Samir, was, was dressed up like that hobo, <laughs> completely hidden. I couldn't see. And he scared me. I must have broken Olympic records running up those stairs. <laughs> I never ran away again. <laughs> now, I'm telling you this for obvious reason. I want you to please comprehend. Comprehend this with me. Running away from God, whether it be literally or spiritually, trying to escape obedience to the Word of God, or thinking that you're getting away with something contrary to the command of God. My beloved friends, my beloved friends, that will only open you to the enemy's attack. You'll open the door wide. It will bring you pain, it will bring you fear, it will bring you suffering, because you have left yourself defenseless. And the further you run away, the longer the trip home. Sometimes I imagine a child, four or five or whatever, is walking, and the father holding his or her hand and walking the street, and then an animal comes in to scare them. How long would it take for that child to be in the arms of seconds, if, if that? But if that child did what I did and ran away and stayed, kept on running, kept on running, crossing busy streets, how long would that take to run all the way home? A lot longer. A lot longer than when you're walking with Daddy. By the same token, please, please, do not leave yourself defenseless by disobedience. Because that's the moment the enemy ruthlessly will attack you. Question, how long would it take you to run home? Some children might not even make it home. We hear it in the news all the time. Please, don't take a chance. Whether you're watching or you're here, don't take a chance. Come home to your heavenly Father and stay home. You will never experience greater love or greater care. And that is why we daily put on the uniform and regularly use the defensive weapon and always, always, always be ready to use the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to just give you a personal invitation as we stand to pray together. I'm not going to ask you to come down or raise your hand or do it. It's between you and God. It's your decision. You know how far you've been running away. You know where you are more than anybody. Nobody else knows more than you do. So would you stand with me, please? Take a moment to speak to your heavenly daddy, the one who loved you 
beyond measure. His love can never be comprehended fully in this life. He loves you dear. The very fact you are here or watching around the world is because He loves you. And He wants you to know that His arms are open wide. Come home. Come home to your heavenly Father. Our loving Father, your Holy Spirit is the examiner of every heart. You know the thoughts before we think them. And so I pray for every individual, wherever they are, who are making a decision right now to come home to the Father's house. I pray in the name of Jesus, strengthen them, empower them. Holy Spirit, dwell in them. Remind them to put on that uniform and to use the weapons that you have given us. For, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing as we sit.